podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. Each episode, we'll discuss one classic book and share some recommendations for more contemporary reads that feature similar themes. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Hey, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? You've had a big week this week. I've had a big week. I'm feeling a lot of feelings, (laughs) but mostly good. (laughs) And it's been nice to have not one, but two recordings with you this week. That has really helped fill my time and keep my brain busy. Oh, good. I'm glad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. So we are wrapping up our summer of recording and reading today. We have a lot of great books to tell you about, but we thought we'd do some personal updates first and then dive into books. I think that sounds great. I don't know if I have any personal updates to share. My fall, I mean, I guess it looks kind of different from last fall. Um, I'm teaching an online class. I'm doing my freelancing content writing and editing work. I guess one exciting thing is that I will be teaching some book school classes over at Modern Mrs. Darcy. So if you're a book club member over there, you will get some extra nerdy <laughs> extra nerdy literary classes and that's something to look forward to. So I I'm excited for fall. I'm excited for you. That is so fun and you're so good at that stuff. So I'm really glad you're getting to do that with Anne Aww. as well. Thank you, Sarah. You're such a good cheerleader. <laughs> Well, I'm excited about everything that you have in store for this season as well. And we've had a lot of conversations this summer leading up to this point. (laughs) Yes, we have. And I am so grateful to have had your friendship and insights as I navigate this. So I recently made the difficult decision not to return to the classroom this fall There are a lot of reasons for it. Of course, COVID being a huge one hanging over the heads of every teacher and student and parent right now as schools and districts and nationally we try to navigate what education is going to look like this fall. And my school made a decision that wasn't right for me personally, and so I have decided not to go back, and I'm feeling mostly really fortunate that I have the ability to have made that decision for myself. I know not every teacher in person is in that position, so I feel extremely privileged It's also, of course, sad. I mean, I've been at this school for six years. I have never not had a back-to-school season, whether it was between being a student or teaching or grad school. Like, fall has always meant back-to-school for me. So that's going to be weird and I'm sure hard in some ways, but I'm also excited to explore. I've never 
in addition to never not having a back to school season, I've never had a time in my life where I didn't know what was coming next. And so that uncertainty, of course, is a little scary, but it's also exciting. And I'm excited to explore my next my next thing. I'm really excited to see where this takes you. And I, I so, so feel those feelings for you and with you. And I really have a heavy heart for teachers right now. A lot of my friends are teachers because that's, you know, what I have been doing up until this point. And I just really, I really feel heavy. So uh, we have talked about planning some fun teacher-related things this fall. If you, especially if you are a high school English teacher, if there's a way that we could support you, we're interested in hearing about that. So you can send us an email at novelpairingspod at gmail.com. But Sarah, I'll share a story with you. Maybe this will be comforting. I don't know. But (laughs) it's been on my mind a lot because even though, like I said, I am teaching one college course this fall, but it is a lot different from actually stepping foot into the classroom and having a real back-to-school season. It just feels very different, and I've been grappling with my identity (laughs) a lot. Oh, completely. Because I do think in order to teach, you have to make it part of your identity in order to survive it. It's Because it's such a... true. It's all-consuming. Yeah. So when I was leaving Georgia, that's where I taught high school for four years, I was at my favorite shop with my husband, and I thought I would like pick something out to sort of commemorate my time and remember the store that I loved so much visiting and um, to take with me to the next place. And I came across this really great mug. I love mugs. (laughs) Big tea drinker. And it's this nice big mug. And it said teacher on it. And it was like this beautiful font. I just really liked it. And so I'm standing there holding this mug, having a full-on identity crisis over a mug because it said teacher. And I told Curtis, he was like, you should get it. It's so cute. It's very you. And I was like, but what if I never teach again? Because I was leaving. I didn't know what I was going to do next. I didn't know if I would ever step foot in the classroom again. And I just stood there and I was like, what if I never teach again? And then I have this mug that says teacher and that doesn't represent me anymore. And he, the logical (laughs) guy that he is, he said, you'll teach again. You'll always be a teacher in some way. And he was like, we're getting the mug. And he like marched over to the counter and bought it. And So I still look at that mug and I use that mug, but it makes me think about being a teacher in a variety of ways, being a supporter of teachers and keeping that as part of my identity, even if it doesn't look the way that I always thought it would. I love that story. And that moment so captures how I'm feeling right now. I, yeah, thank you for sharing that with me. And I think... You're so right that you don't have to be in the classroom to be a teacher. And I'm going to hang on to that while also, of course, really thinking about all the teachers who are in the classroom or online this year. Like you said, we really want to 
support you all. And, and if there's anything we can do, any sort of content we could put out that would be helpful, please let us know. We'd love, love to hear it and love to support all the teachers in the classroom and out however we can. One way that we love to support teachers is recommending books that they might want to use in their classroom or just that they can read for their relaxation. So today we have an episode full of book recommendations. These are our favorite books of the summer and we will also share a little bit about what we've got coming up this fall. So don't worry, we're not going to sit in this in this space of emotions <laughs> for the whole episode. So let's talk about our summer season before we get into our book recommendations. Let's talk about the last bits of summer that we have here, which books we loved reading together for the podcast, which episodes we enjoyed. I love doing this reflection time. Me too. We're both naturally very reflective people, and so it's fun to have these wrap-ups built into our schedule. What was your favorite episode of the season, Chelsea? Oh, gosh. I'm, like, looking at the calendar so that I can remember all <laughs> I know. of our episodes. I know. <laughs> I have to do that, too, and it's in part because we sometimes record out of order, and so yep. it's like, okay, what were our summer episodes? <laughs> I think that I have to go with The Fellowship of the Ring as my favorite episode. I remember really enjoying recording that one. We were so unsure about what would happen when we read that book, and it ended up being such a fun discussion, even though it wasn't necessarily our favorite book of all time. Yeah, it was so fun. I felt the same way about The Odyssey. I loved talking about that. And I think one thing we're finding is that it's really fun to talk about books from a specific genre because then we get to explore kind of genre studies and at the same time as we're looking at a specific book. I loved the Lord of the Rings episode. It's so fun. I did. Now that you mentioned the Odyssey, I I also really like those episodes where we get to connect to the readers we were <laughs> when we read the classics, like in high school or in middle school, like your mythology girl stories. I really enjoy those episodes that bring out all of the various readers that we've been in our lives so far. Yes, me too. Oh, and I didn't share this with you. So when I went back to my old school to clean out my classroom and drop off my technology and it was like the saddest thing. I went into my office, my the English department office, and sitting on my desk was a copy of Edith Hamilton's Mythology. Yeah, it was Aww. from one of my coworkers who listens to our podcast and heard me say that I couldn't find my copy. Oh, that's so sweet. And she hates mythology. She hates teaching it. <laughs> Every time the mythology unit comes up, she she complains nonstop. I love you, Christy, if you're listening. <laughs> but Aww. she gave me one of her extra copies and that just made my whole day. I love that. That's so sweet. That's making me tear up. I know. Isn't that the sweetest? Book people are the best people. It's so true. I also really loved our Buzzy Summer Books episode. It was just so fun to kind of speed through a bunch of books that we were excited about, and I feel like it kept my pairing skills sharp to try and come up with pairings for all of the 
new summer releases. And listeners, if that was an episode you enjoyed too, we'd love to hear about that and whether we should do it more regularly. We also had some really, really fun interview episodes, and that was the first time that we introduced those. We had Allie on the podcast to talk about classic kidlet, and we had Jamise on to talk about book and wine pairings, and those episodes were so much fun. Those were so fun. It's really nice to bring a third person in and just get to gush about books for a little while with with another avid reader. I loved both of those. Well, now that we've gushed about all of our summer episodes, (laughs) (laughs) pat ourselves on the back. Yeah, we did such a good job this season. (laughs) Should we talk about the books that we loved? Yes, we should. Part of what I love about these wrap-up episodes is Well, so far, this is only the second one. (laughs) So far, as we create the outlines, we discover a handful of books that we both read over the last three months, and then we get to have like a little mini book club to debrief about them. Yeah, that's so fun. And we don't plan that, but it's just, of course, we're, we're talking often and seeing each other's posts on Instagram. And so, of course, it's natural that we would pick up some of the same books. And we read some good books this summer. Yeah. Looking at this mutual favorites list, like this is this is a great, great group of books. And it's really vast and varied. Like this is all over the place genre wise. It's so true. So So should we gush about the first one? Yeah. Yeah. We both read Clap When You Land by Elizabeth Acevedo. If you've listened to our episodes, (laughs) you know we're Elizabeth Acevedo super fans, and I just adored this book. I I think like we've both talked about the first Acevedo book we read will probably always be our favorite because she's one of those authors that has such a strong voice, and she's so original that whatever book introduces you to her work is going to hold a very special place in your heart. But Clap When You Land is phenomenal. I think she's a literary genius. And I really hope that just because she's in young adult fiction, I hope that doesn't exclude her from the praise that she deserves. Because I I just really do think she's truly gifted. And yeah, I love... So I've only listened to her books on audio, but I would really like to purchase them for my shelves, partly because I would love to go back and reread on paper. And I know that that will be a different experience and I'll be able to appreciate her language in a different way. But gosh, she's also such a fabulous audiobook narrator. And I just think that contributes to the amazing poetry of her books. I completely agree. I I think I've listened to all of them as well. And I do own a hard copy of Clap When You Land, but I loaned it out to a friend who lived in the Dominican Republic for a long time, and she is reading and loving it. So Clap When You Land takes place between the Dominican Republic and New York City. It's two half-sisters. If you like Silver Sparrow... Or The Vanishing Half, which is another book we're going to talk about a little bit more later. 
this would be a great one for you to pick up, even if you're not typically a YA reader. And I also think fans of Juno Diaz should pick up Elizabeth Acevedo, particularly Clap When You Land. She just is writing about more of a young girl's perspective of that culture, and I I think Juno Diaz fans would love this. I just adore her so much. We could probably just do an episode... I mean, we could do like a book club episode about one of her books sometime just because she's so, so amazing. We should. Should we move into talking about The Vanishing Half since I brought that up? We both yeah, that I think this that's, summer too. That's a good one. And we've this is another one we've talked about on the podcast. We love Britt Bennett. The Vanishing Half we mentioned on our episode on Passing by Nella Larson. And gosh, this was so good. It's definitely one of my favorite books of the year, if not the summer. And everyone that I've passed it on to so far has loved it too. My mom read it in a couple of days and absolutely adored it. And it's so good. It's it's really, really good. And I love how much Britt Bennett talks about some of the other books that influenced her. So books like Passing and authors like Toni Morrison, and she even mentioned again The Silver Sparrow by Tayari Jones as being an influence and how she kind of originally attended the structure of the book to be. So that's been a real joy, too, just to hear a fabulous author talk about her influences and how she sees her books in conversation with those other books, which obviously we love. Yeah, there's something really special too about authors where you can listen to three different interviews with this author and you pick up a new tidbit about the book or you see the book in a new way every time that you listen to them. Britt Bennett has been on quite a whirlwind tour this summer. I mean, just virtually, but I feel like every time I listen to an interview, I get a greater appreciation for her writing and for The Vanishing Half. In a completely different direction, we both recently read The Rakes by Scarlett Peckham. Yeah, this, so I read this one and finished it, and then I said, Sarah, this is a romance novel, and it is loosely based on the true life of Mary Wollstonecraft, and you were like, I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I taught for many years her sections of The Vindication of the Rights of Women, and Frankenstein, which was written by her daughter. So yeah, I was very curious about this. And it also, I mean, I'm very, I've said this now for like six months that we've been podcasting, so maybe it's not true (laughs) anymore, but I still think of myself as new to the romance genre, and particularly new to historical romance. This is a cover I probably would have rolled my eyes at six months ago and refused to pick up and I would have been missing out. I would have been the poorer for it. So this book is so fun and thoughtful, just really thought provoking. It is. So what Scarlett Peckham is doing is taking the romance trope of the rake. So Think of rakes in classic literature. That would be Wickham from Pride and Prejudice. He's a playboy. He sort of takes advantage of women or, you know, is just in it for the sex and he's just, you know, kind of immature. So that's the trope of the rake. She spins that and she creates this really complicated 
heroine who is known as the Ray Kess. She is sort of known around town as being a man eater. Like she has just one night stands and she's really um, closed her heart off to romance and she meets this architect and he sweeps her off her feet. And that sounds really mushy, but this is kind of like a darker, like it's a very moody romance. And, and I mean, of course, romance is mushy. That's part of the fun of it. But it is so good. And she also deals with alcoholism, which you don't see very often in historical romance books, especially. And I really thought that that added this layer of reality and humanity to the character in the book and having having that as a struggle I don't know I just I thought it was really interesting and well done the way that Scarlett Peckham went about it it was very nuanced and brave but also important choice that she made with with that I I really enjoyed that one and I didn't realize that maybe I should have but I did not realize that you also read the undocumented Americans this summer Yes, I think I have one chapter left, so I'm not quite done with it, but I'm really, really loving it. I have just, I took it pretty slowly, reading one chapter, almost one essay at a time. This is a really unique combination of journalism, memoir, and storytelling. The writing is nothing like I've ever read before in the best possible way, and Gosh, it's really it's really impacting me. Yeah, I agree. It it's very powerful. Also, also yeah, the writing. I just it's it's startling in its shifts in tone and style, but it's so powerfully done. The author Carla Corneo Via Vincencio is a dreamer herself and so she's in the unique position of having undocumented parents and being having the privilege of being able to go in and interview undocumented immigrants but sort of having a slight slightly different sense of safety herself and so yeah, that, that mix of journalism and personal stories is is something I've found myself really loving lately, but I haven't ever read anything like this. I mean, I just, like you said, the tone shifts that startle you, but work, it's very conversational. I mean, she's she's a really talented writer, you know, aside from the importance of this book for its content. And she's shockingly young I think I I don't think so I don't know exactly how old she is but she's quite young and yeah I I think that every well I kind of think every American ought to read this every teacher I would really recommend Mm -hmm. I know this is not going to be the school year where you want to pick up difficult books which is totally understandable but I I really felt like it was important for me in terms of maybe understanding some students and families' positionality better. I think that you could excerpt pieces from this for your classroom. 
she's very blunt, which is one of the things I loved about the book, but would also make it hard to assign it. But like the the essay about 9-11, I think would be mm. really great to excerpt for the classroom. So it's just a wonderful book. And we'll link to some some other reviews, some own voices reviews of that as well. Yes, definitely. You can catch those in the show notes. All right. I want to talk about your personal favorites this summer, Chelsea, because your list looks fun. (laughs) (laughs) I do have a really interesting mix here, but you're right. These are all fun. Yeah. Most of mine are fun too. And there's kind of a specific reason for that, but that I will share. Um, Yeah. We have some fun books for you moving into fall. Like maybe you didn't get to fit in all of your beach reads this summer. I think we're all still going to be seeking some comfort reading in the fall and winter. So we have some recommendations for you. Yes, if this was ever a season to take your beach reads into the cool, cool weather, this is this is the year. <laughs> yes. All right. Sarah, do you want to talk about your favorite first? Is sure. this like I mean, this one I've heard you talk about a little bit, and I really want to read it, so I guess I'm just really eager for you to get into it. (laughs) Okay, this is not one of the light, fun ones, (laughs) but I think this is going to for sure be on my favorite books of 2020 list, and it's Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. And Hamnet, historically, was William Shakespeare's son who died, I think, at around age 10 of the plague. This is a plague book, so be forewarned going into it. I didn't know much about Hamnet, except that people speculate that Hamlet was in some way named for him. But even as an English major who's taken quite a few Shakespeare classes, Hamnet is like a footnote in history. It's like, oh, isn't it so interesting that Shakespeare had a son who tragically died so young and that his name happens to be similar to the greatest character in English literature. And that's kind of what you get from Shakespeare courses in my experience. So what Maggie Farrell does is she makes Hamnet's life beautiful and important. And the book doesn't take place over a very long period of time. It's really in like the couple of days where Hamnet and his twin sister Judith get sick with the plague. And then there are flashbacks to Shakespeare meeting his wife Anne Hathaway and falling in love with her. Of course, this is mostly speculation, but it's all built on historical fact. And what I just loved about this book, it's a quiet book in spite of its big names that are in it. But what Maggie O'Farrell does so brilliantly is she reminds you that even these really small lives that don't make it into the headlines of history, they're just the footnotes of history, are beautiful and important too. And this book made me cry both because it was sad, but also just that reminder of the beauty of life. It sounds so cheesy, but it's true. And I I 
adored this book. And if you want to buy a copy of your own, I highly recommend that you do it from Blackwell's, which is a an independent bookstore in Oxford, England. They ship to the U.S. for free. I love them so much. And the U.K. cover is way, 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 way prettier than the U.S. cover. We can link specifically to them for that title in the show notes. Yes. And we do not get a kickback from them. This is just <laughs> us sacrificing a kickback so you can get the prettier cover. It re- Like when we say prettier than the U.S. version, like we mean leaps and bounds. Yes. Yes. <laughs> also, if you're in Canada or maybe Australia, the book is called Hamnet and Judith. It has huh. a different title and includes both of the, the twins in there. So... Same book, same author, as far as I know, exact same story, but just a different title, which is interesting. That is interesting. All right, Chelsea, what is your first favorite of the summer? This is maybe also one of my favorite books of the year. It was so good. So I absolutely loved Talia Hibbert's book. I think I read it last summer, Get a Life, Chloe Brown. This is the second in the Brown Sisters series, Take a Hint, Danny Brown. And I liked Chloe, but I loved Danny even more. And this book is just, it's romantic comedy perfection. I mean, I like cackled while listening (laughs) to the audiobook. It's so funny and it's very steamy. So Danny Brown is on the path to become a professor and she is very confident. And I I love like all the references to her like putting on an outfit and being like, my boobs look great today. She like, <laughs> goes out into the world. And she has this kind of flirty relationship with the security guard, Zafir, Zaf. And he is the security guard for her building where she teaches her classes and so they kind of like say hi to each other back and forth well one day the alarm goes off and she's stuck in the elevator they know that it's a drill but he runs in to go and get her out of the building and like carries her out fireman style and meanwhile all of these college kids have their phones out and they're snapping pictures of them so it goes viral and there's like this big deal about, I think they say rugby, because he used to play rugby. Oh, okay. <laughs> so there's like this funny hashtag. And so ultimately, they decide that it's mutually beneficial for them to have a fake relationship and make the public think that they are dating and sort of capitalize on this viral status for their benefit. Well, I mean... Of course we know what happens. (laughs) It's not going to stay fake. They fall in love with each other. And I mean, Zaf is, oh gosh, he's such a great hero. He deals with anxiety. And I feel like that part of the book is so well written. So as someone who personally deals with anxiety, I often have a hard time reading books where the main character Hmm. is depressed or anxious because it makes me feel anxious for them like I can't turn off that empathetic response and so I don't like to feel that anxiety while reading but this book didn't do that for me 
Um, I felt like it was so well done. And gosh, I just absolutely loved it. I can't say enough how much I recommend this book if you want to laugh and swoon, but also it deals with complex issues. Like they have stuff to work through together and they feel real. So man, if you are interested in a place to start with romance and you like rom-coms, Talia Hibbert is an excellent place to start. Yeah, I could just gush about this for forever. Love it. Okay, huge left turn. And this is my last more serious book before my next three are super fun. So I absolutely loved Heavy by Kia C. Lehman. It's a memoir in essays, kind of. So I think you would love it, Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Have you read it? It came out like last no. year, I think. Okay, okay. I haven't, but it's definitely on my list. Like, yeah. I, I know I need to read this one. I, I think you'd like it. And I definitely recommend, I'll just write up front, I think everyone should listen to both Tracy of the Stacks Pod talk about Heavy, but also I think she's had Kiyose on a couple of times, and he's a fantastic guest. So definitely listen to those. This is his memoir, and it contains a lot. It's really about secrets and shame and how that affects both the body and the mind. And Kiyose Lehman had has, I'm sure, a very complicated relationship with his mother, who was a very brilliant English teacher who really kind of instilled a love of language in him, but also there's a lot of trauma there. And so in this memoir, he explores his early sexual abuse, his obesity, his anorexia, an addiction to gambling, just a lot of of lingering results of, of a traumatic childhood. And he writes about all of these memories and feelings so poignantly and it's I kind of hate saying it's raw but it it is but it's also very poetic and certainly thoughtful it really hit me hard even though his life is completely different from my life it was one of those memoirs that really lets you get a glimpse into the interior of of a person a brilliant person and so I, I thought this was phenomenal. It's another one I would recommend to really any English teacher or writer or somebody who loves beautiful prose because not only is his prose beautiful, but he reflects on the importance of language and learning to express himself and also find himself in literature throughout the memoir. So if, if any of those things resonate with you, I think you would love, love this book. So that's Heavy by Kiyose Lehman. Next time I have a sad day where I let myself buy books, because that happens every now and then, oh, yes. <laughs> I will put this at the top of my list for books to buy. Yes. And he narrates the audiobook. This is another one, though, that I listened to and then... I think the publisher sent me a copy last year when it came out, and so I was lucky enough to have a copy already because 
there was one line at the end that I like flipped to to find as soon as I heard it on the audio because I needed to put a book dart by it so I could Mm. find it again. All right. I'm excited for the next one you're talking about. Yeah, I won't spend too much time on this one because I did mention it in our Fellowship of the Ring episode, but I absolutely loved The City We Became by N.K. Jemison. And I'll actually be recording an episode with Curtis on this one for He Read, She Read soon, as of the time of this recording. So <laughs> um, that is going to be a really fun discussion as well. He has read the fifth season and he really loved Jemison's writing. And I felt like this was a better one for me as an introduction to her work since I am not as much of a big fantasy fan. So I absolutely loved this book. It takes world building to a whole new level. She has main characters who represent each of the boroughs of New York City and they have to work together to save New York City from an evil force and there's a lot of allegory here about gentrification and it is obvious and apparent but really also really well done like it's a very obvious allegory but I didn't feel like that obviousness took away from it if that makes sense I know some readers you know like things to be more subtle but I really loved how Jemison was like I'm going to put this up in your face for you to deal with it And I just really enjoyed her sense of humor throughout the book. It was a page turner. So I I really liked this one and I do recommend it for people who kind of want to try sci-fi and fantasy. But if that's not your typical genre, I think that you might really like this one. People like me. I plan to read this one soon. I think that you're really going to like it. I think so too. My next one is also a book that I mentioned on our summer, buzzy summer books episode, it is Sex and Vanity by Kevin Kwan. I loved this book way more than I expected to. It was so fun. So this is a retelling of A Room with a View, but you do not have to have read or watched A Room with a View to love this book. I just thought it was a super smart retelling. I think I I enjoyed it. Not only, I think, I know I enjoyed it way more than A Room with a View. So it is about Lucy Churchill. She is a young biracial woman. Her mother is Chinese-American and her father is a very rich wasp, which is important to the story. And she and her older cousin, Charlotte, who kind of serves as a chaperone, are attending this extremely lavish wedding on the island of Capri and Lucy meets this very handsome but also awkward and maybe kind of snobbish man named George and Lucy lets her guard down for the first time with this boy and the book is kind of about the lead up to that the fallout from that and then it jumps ahead in time So if you have read A Room with a View, you will know exactly where this book is going. If you haven't, you'll be in for some fun surprises. I love this book because of the way Quan balances all of the things he's trying to do. The book was totally fun. It was such an escape. 
I felt like I was on Capri. I laughed out loud because of his hilarious footnotes and asides that he puts throughout the book. But it was also a really nuanced examination of biracial identity and kind of the microaggressions that Lucy experiences from her family members and the people who profess to love and understand her, but clearly don't take the time to understand the complexity of her personhood and her identity. And I just thought that was so smart that he could suck you in with this escape of a story and then also really illuminate some important issues. So Sex and Vanity by Kevin Kwan was super fun. All right. What's your next one, Chelsea? This one really took me back to my high school days. I read We Ride Upon Sticks by Quan Berry. This one is about the Danvers girls field hockey team. And they decide that in order to win their field hockey season, they are going to basically pull <laughs> pull a stunt like the Crucible and sign their <laughs> names in a book, sell their souls to the devil, pledge their allegiance to the darkness and <laughs> and do some witchy stuff in order to win and it is so funny. I will say it took me about 60 pages to really get into this book. It is told in third person plural, which is unusual and took some getting used to, but also that's just when it really picks up. This is this is a really unique story I I'm trying to think of how else to to describe it or to explain the themes it was just really fun I know that part of why I loved it so much was that it took me back to my field hockey playing days but I also really liked the themes that Barry was tackling I don't know if she did them perfectly she's representing a lot of different gender identities and ethnicity and races in this book and so there's a lot of diversity of characters um so I have been intending to read some more own voices reviews about it but I I liked the way that she communicated all of these girls being individuals and teammates and how they navigate womanhood together and for themselves so I think that she has a really interesting message to share, but I also don't feel like I, as a white reviewer, can fully say whether she did it well or the right way. So I that's just a disclaimer, but I, I did really, really enjoy We Write Upon Sticks. I started that one this summer, and I mean, by started, I mean, I, I think I read five pages and then put it aside only because I my summer reading has been very much skewed by the fact that I'm serving on this reading committee for the Aspen Words Literary Prize which is like the coolest thing I've ever gotten to do but I have to read so many books like more books in three months than I usually read in an entire year and so It's a lot. And if something doesn't grab me, like for pleasure reading, if something doesn't grab me immediately, I've been having to put it down. It also means like I'm reading so many great books that I can't review, which (laughs) (laughs) kills me a little bit. But 
once the long list is announced in November, I'll be able to share more about those books. And I kind of feel like we should do a special episode about some of the Aspen Words books when when that happens. But all of I that, would love to hear about them. Yes, yes, I yes, there are so many good ones and so many good ones from smaller publishing houses that it would just not cross my path otherwise. And I'm really appreciative of of that opportunity. Um, but that's just a long-winded way of saying, like, I have only been able to finish books that hook me instantaneously. So I will probably be coming back to We Ride Upon Sticks, especially once I'm, like, not teaching this fall and I need some angsty teen girls back in my life. <laughs> my next one is one that grabbed me immediately and was just the sweetest surprise because I've kind of given up on number one books about Jane Austen or retellings or things like that because they tend to disappoint me and number two books that are said to be reminiscent of the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society because once again like nothing seems to live up to that. So I went into the Jane Austen Society by Natalie Jenner with some trepidation, and I loved it. It is a book about a group of unlikely friends and allies in Chawton, England. Chawton is where Jane Austen wrote, I think, the last two or three of her books, her brother inherited some property there and then gave Jane and her sister and mother a small little cottage to live in because they were completely dependent on the men in their lives, of course, for financial stability. And the book is about this group of readers who just love Jane Austen so much and they decide to come together both to talk about her books but more to preserve her legacy and they are trying to turn her house into a museum and I just loved the literary references and I love a group of unlikely friends it was sweet but not syrupy sweet it was armchair travel as well. I've I've gotten to visit Jane Austen's house before, and it's one of my favorite memories. And so I got to relive that through this book as well. I've seen this one. I just think I felt like there were so many articles that came out around the time of stay-at-home orders where people were turning to Jane Austen for comfort. And I felt like this made a lot of those lists and it's no wonder why. I mean, it really does sound like the perfect comfort read. All right, I have another romance to recommend. So on our episode about Like Water for Chocolate, I mentioned a book by Sophie Jordan. I think it was The Virgin and the Rogue or something like that. I'm terrible at remembering titles, but it had to do with an aphrodisiac potion like there is this aphrodisiac potion and the characters had to deal with that so this book follows that one you don't have to have read them in order you could pick this one up by itself and it would totally make sense but the heroine is the sister who dabbles in chemistry and who created the aphrodisiac so she kind of took over for her father. He was the town physician. 
and after his death, she continued to practice medicine from their house, and she was writing letters to keep up with his correspondence. So, like, pretending to be him. So she was pretending to be a doctor. Well, there is this soldier, and he had been writing to her father for medical advice, and... So when he comes back to town, because circumstances require him to come back and, like, take over an estate, he comes back to town and he goes to their house to meet this doctor that he's been corresponding with for years. And instead, he meets (laughs) Nora Langley, who, as the description says, prefers botany to ballrooms. I love that. So they do not hit it off because he's angry that he feels deceived and she's angry that he won't take her seriously and just trust her medical advice. So she actually ends up following him into London because his kind of like a stepmother, it's complicated, but there's someone who needs her healing. So she follows him. Well, I mean, it's a romance, so you know they're going to get together, but... There's just this one specific scene where they, he takes her to go to like a medical college and see an autopsy. And she's so thrilled. But then as they're leaving, this guy basically yells after them. He's like, you're not supposed to be here. You're a woman. And she spins around and she's ready to confront him. And that confrontation is so well-written and so amazing. And I read this shortly after AOC spoke in front of the committee about her being accosted and talking about the ways that men exclude women and the way that they speak to them. And it just felt completely ripped from the headlines. And I, and it, I mean, it wasn't, this book was obviously written well before, but I really, really loved it. That scene sticks in my mind so much, and I I really, really enjoyed this romance. So that is The Duke Effect by Sophie Jordan. I don't know if I even said the title. The Duke Effect <laughs> by Sophie Jordan, and I really, really enjoyed this romance. This has been truly been a summer of romance for me. I love that. My last one, it's not a romance, I don't think, but it's fun and it is a love story and it is one to watch by Kate Stamen London and this is a book that's like about and takes place on the set of like a thinly veiled bachelor ripoff i don't watch the bachelor but i've i've always wanted to get into the bachelor i I feel like that's kind of weird, but like I've always, <laughs> I have like a couple friends who kind of watch it, but I've always wanted like a crew of people to like watch it with. Mostly because I, even though I don't watch, I like to read the commentary about it. Like I love dipping into Bachelor podcasts or reading think pieces about it. And I think that's why I liked this book so much. So, Let me explain that connection. So it's about B, who is a plus-size Instagram influencer. She has this great following and this great blog, and she's very much about body positivity and high fashion and quirky fashion, and she's just – she's awesome. And she gets a little tipsy one night, and she writes this 
rant on her blog about the lack of diversity on I don't even remember what the fake bachelor show is called in the book, but the the bachelor it might as well be and how like there's never been a black lead on the show. Almost everyone is white and if you're a woman, you have to be like a size 2 to be even considered to be on this show. And it goes viral and she ends up being asked to be the next bachelorette and the next lead because the show's ratings are tanking and they think that this kind of controversy might spike ratings. And so the book is told partially through B's perspective and then it's also told through podcast transcripts and Us Weekly articles. Yeah. And like um, a group slack of all of these colleagues who have bets on who's going to win. And so (laughs) it's also about the conversation around the show and the way the show gets people to think about relationships and body image and toxicity and all, all of this. And so I just, I thought that was so smart. It was really fun. It was a quick read in part because it was changing styles so often. So you would get like a quick B chapter and then a podcast transcript or something. So I loved it. Also, I liked that Kate Stamen London did not shy away from presenting the hardships that B faced and the horrific cruelty that people felt entitled to say to her and about her because of her body. It was one of those books, again, that I tend to love, which are really fun and often lighthearted, but they require readers to still think about a serious issue. So I adored this. I passed it off to several friends. They loved it too. It is a great summer read, and certainly if you're looking for something fun for fall, one to watch is one to pick up. I'm excited to read that one. I feel like I'm maybe a newer Bachelor watcher. I did have a crew <laughs> at one point that we would get together and watch it. I, over the last couple of years, have really enjoyed the recaps from the podcast. And oh, so that has gotten me into watching and then listening to those recaps for the commentary. And I think that this upcoming fall season is going to be bananas. So it might be a good one for you to uh, start, especially because what are what else are we going to watch and talk about like collectively as a society? This is true. <laughs> Besides The Bachelor this year. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. This is this is really funny. So I watch the finale every Mm -hmm. season because they're like (laughs) four hours long they catch you up on literally everything you need to know so I just like settle in for like a finale watch and get I feel just as invested (laughs) as I would if I were watching the full season (laughs) oh gosh it's so true all right my last book here is another romance that is just the theme of the summer for me. And this is another one that I really loved and I'll get really excited talking about it. Oh, good. So Eva Lee, I, she's one of my favorite romance authors and I feel like I I don't talk about her books enough, but she's writing this series right now called The Union of the Rakes that is inspired by her favorite 80s movies. Fun. So the series opens and she's got The Union of the Rakes 
is basically the breakfast club. It's this group of guys who went to school together and they got in trouble and that's how they became friends. So each book follows one of the rakes. So Would I Lie to the Duke is the second in that series and it is about Noel who is a carefree duke and he is like king of the town and he dabbles in business investments. So there's about to be this big business fair where business owners present their ideas and people like Noel who have a ton of money are able to invest in them. And then Jessica McGale, she is a ladies companion. So that's basically like she's higher social class than a lady's maid, but she isn't part of the nobility. So she's still considered like working class. Well, she is a companion because her family's business is a soap making business and they had a horrible fire that burned a big part of their factory. So she needs investors to save her family's business. The lady who she's a companion to is out of town. So she has a wardrobe full of dresses that she can borrow. So she poses as Lady Whitfield to get into this business fair and she meets the Duke and they hit it off immediately. Sparks fly. The tension in this novel is, it's probably the best sexual tension I've read ever. Whoa. It is, it is the best. Like it just absolutely (laughs) crackles off the page. And I, I really liked Jessica as a main character. The way that Noel, he's, he's this entitled Duke and she doesn't let him forget his privilege. We watch him as his eyes are opened and as he sort of learns how to navigate that because he wants to be a good guy. The historical context and background for this is so good. And it's just really fun. So she said that this one is based on Working Girl, which is a movie that I haven't watched. But it's just fun to know that she's basing these historical romance books on 80s movies. So just for the title again, that's Would I Lie to the Duke by Eva Lee. All right. Well, we want to share a little bit about fall we we did our fall season preview, so if you're interested in what books we're reading this fall, of course, take a look at that. We did just want to mention, if we're thinking all the way back to the start of novel pairings in March, we had initially planned for this to be a bi-weekly podcast. So we knew with our schedules, we just were not going to be able to read a classic every single week and find time to talk about it, plan for the episode, do the research, edit, all of that. And then in quarantine, we started filling in between our classics episodes with some other episodes. So TBR topplers, interviews, some more teachery things. And one huge positive to come out of me not teaching this fall (laughs) is we're going to get to keep that up. Yeah, we'll record weekly episodes, so that'll include, like you said, the TBR Topplers, Short Story Club, any other general topics that we feel inspired by, or sometimes we hear from listeners who are curious about a certain classics-related or literature-related topic, so we would love to hear your favorites. What are your favorite episodes to hear from us? 
or if you have specific requests, you can send those to our email. That's the best way for us to collect all of those. Yes, and that's novelpairingspod at gmail.com. We're also going to be launching our blog this fall, which is something that's been in the works for a while. We both love to write about books and often there are extra things we want to say about a classic or we read a great book months after recording an episode and think this would have been a perfect pairing for fill in the blank. And so the blog is going to be a way for us to keep you all updated about our reading life and maybe share some more in-depth stuff that doesn't make it into the episodes. Yeah, and that will be a place for us to house our show notes as well so that those are easy to find. Yes. Another thing that we are thinking about for this season is showing our faces a little bit more. (laughs) So we might hop on Instagram Live now and then. And I don't know if I'm quite ready for reels yet, but... (laughs) (laughs) I'm never going to be ready for reels. I'm too old. (laughs) (laughs) There's no such thing. You're not too old, but... I totally get it. It's like (laughs) another thing to keep track of. But we would love to see you on Instagram. So you can follow us at Novel Pairings Pod over there. And we have some other things in the works. We've been keeping a list of Patreon possibilities. So we're not ready to launch that. But we're just going to throw that hint out there. Yeah, We're both people who love a new project and like feeling creatively inspired and challenged. And so it's been really fun for us just to keep that running list of things that we would eventually like to do. And one day here, we hope to be able to to put that content out there. That is it for our summer wrap up and a little bit more of a fall preview as we said, we would love to see you on Instagram. We really enjoy seeing when you pick up any books that we mention. So you can tag us at Novel Pairings Pod. And if you're really loving the podcast, a great way to support us is by telling your friends, sharing us on your Instagram stories, or sending a link in a text message really helps get episodes out to people. And if you are feeling like you want to do something a little extra special you could write a review for us on apple podcasts and that really helps people find our show thank you to michelle timmons for all of her assistance and to mark anderson and miles eichner for our theme music we are going to be taking a one week break next week september 1st but we'll be back on september 8th with our episode on the great gatsby by f scott fitzgerald Until then, we declare after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book.